Good morning, New City. We're so grateful to have you with us this morning. This is my friend, Julie Salander, and we wanna welcome you here today. If you wanna get connected further to our church, if you're visiting with us, or you just wanna get further connected, there's a couple easy ways to do that. You can fill out the connection card that's in your seat back in front of you right now, and you can give it to anyone with a lanyard on or take it to the, the Dropbox today. Uh, if you have an offering to give, you can go to newcity.us give and give online, or you can again take it to an offering box on your way out today. We're so grateful for your generosity, and we just wanna welcome you today, and we want you to get connected uh, to New City. We want this to be your home. Today, we're continuing our series through the book of Ephesians. Uh, last week, we finished the first part of the book, which is what we believe. And today we're starting part two, which is chapters four through six, and talking about how we live that out. And one of the big ways that we can live out our faith is through our vocation. Uh, but a lot of times people feel like it's hard to take what we believe and talk about in church and carry that out uh, in our week and in our vocation. And so, again, my friend Julie Salander is here with me. Uh, Julie and her family have been a part of our church for a long time, and Julie's involved in a very important work in our city in trying to connect what we believe and how we live that out in our vocation. So I would love for you, Julie, just to share with us a little bit about what your team is doing and, and why it's so important in our city right now. Yeah, thank you, Chris, and thanks yeah. for having me. Mm -hmm. um, yes, it's hard to believe, you know, we spend the bulk of our time, our given day at, at work. Yeah. And whether that work is uptown as an investment banker, mm -hmm. or as a barista, or student, or even caring for young children. Yeah. Um, yet a recent study from Barna said that over 70% of Christians have a really difficult time connecting their faith to what they do every day. Yeah. So that's why we exist. Yeah. I'm part of the Charlotte Institute for Faith and Work, mm -hmm. and we exist to restore that connection between mm -hmm. faith and work so that Christians can live fully out of yeah. what they believe. Yeah. Um, we, we do that in a few different ways, but one of them is to really reimagine work mm -hmm. through the context of the biblical narrative. Yeah. You know, God's original design for work was to care for his creation. Mm -hmm. And so what does it look like to care for others and to work for the good of God and mm -hmm. his kingdom, not necessarily for myself or for my comfort or for my own purpose? Mm -hmm. And so we, we um, have a couple of ways upcoming that mm -hmm. we can invite folks to get involved. The first is actually taking place here at yeah. New City South Park at 6.30 this Thursday night. Mm -hmm. um, we have folks coming from all over Charlotte. Different churches and denominations are really That's exciting cool. about that. And this event is called Reimagining Work. It's a worship service um, to really pause and consider what was God's original intent in work. How can we see our everyday work as an offering to God? So when we get up on Monday morning at nine o'clock, um, you know, we walk into whatever our day holds and it is, it is an offering yes. of worship. And there's a um, link right on the bottom of the screen that you can screenshot right now or write down. Uh, we'd love for you to go and register for the worship service. Again, it's this Thursday night at our South Park location at 630, um, reimagining work. It's gonna be a great time for lots of different churches, um, lots of different folks to come together and talk about this important um, you know, connection between what we believe and, and how we live that out in our vocation. And then there's one other opportunity to get connected as well. Great, yeah, one of our cornerstone offerings is we have a nine month intensive yep. fellowship. Um, we are, we're just wrapping up our first year of that and we're awesome. connected um, very directly with the Global Faith and Work Initiative out of New York City. Mm -hmm. So we, although it's new to Charlotte, um, this program has yeah. been running for over 10 years and mm -hmm. has 
over 1,500 graduates. So if you're interested in that, um, we would love for you to consider applying. Mm -hmm. And you can learn a little bit more about that on our website as well. But um, So good. Yeah. And we actually uh, want to share a little bit more of that work, yes. uh, specifically the uh, 412 Fellowship mm -hmm. right now. Uh, the 412 Fellowship is a course that's designed to train Christians in how uh, to live out their faith uh, in the city and to join God in the work that He's doing of making all things new. The course is named 412 because uh, in Ephesians 412, God says that the purpose of the church is to equip the saints for the work of ministry in the world. And part of what we are trying to help Christians understand is that God is at work outside the walls of the church, in the world, specifically through the vocations that you do during the week. Uh, and so our design is to uh, empower you as a believer to understand God's will for your work. The 412 Fellowship has impacted me in so many ways, but I would say theology. Uh, I'm 66 years old and we've had books to read by some of the great theologians and I found that it's taken me back to scripture and created a greater biblical worldview and I just know already that I'm able to integrate my faith and work together in ways that I didn't prior to being part of this fellowship. Yeah, part of the design of the 412 course is uh, to help believers understand and grow in God's will for their vocation. Uh, God has created us to work for His glory and for our neighbor's good. And that's not just on Sunday mornings or in a Bible study. It's from 9 to 5, Monday to Friday, uh, whatever you're doing. Um, there's something that God has designed you to do that your neighbors need. And part of our job is to help you discover it, uh, relish its kingdom work, and then deploy it in the world uh, for the glory of God and the good of those around you. 412 has had such an impact on me. It's taught me that community and cultural renewal is done most effectively uh, in a community, especially uh, with people that are from different backgrounds and believe different things than I do. Uh, one of the things that we study in the 412 program is the concept of common grace. And common grace is really God's work in the world loving everyone regardless of their relationship with Him. Which means God's at work in the world through the arts, uh, through architecture, through uh, civil government, through the sciences. And so these Saturdays that we do in the 412 program are designed to help you as students connect with what God's doing in the world and to be part of it. Through 412, we've gotten to learn about some of the history of Charlotte. Um, and some of this history is really beautiful and some of it's really broken. Um, but through this, it's increased my desire uh, to get to know people whose stories are really different from mine um, that make up the city that I live in and that I call home. Uh, and so if you're a new Christian or if you've been a Christian a long time, uh, God can use this cohort to change your life. To see sisters and brothers grow in their capacity for love and enlarge people walking beside a great God loving their city to life. What could be more encouraging than that?
morning, everybody. Hey, good to see all of you. It's good to be here with you. Welcome to, to New City South Park. I hope you're all doing well. Um, and, and so cool to just hear about what's all going on in our city and hope that you can maybe, if you have time this Thursday to come and join us, I think it'll be an amazing, amazing night. Um, I hope you're grateful today. Um, you know, even just being in this moment, we don't want to take it for granted, especially with all that's going on. Uh, in our world. And before we jump into the message, I, I do want to call us to pray, but I want us to call us to pray for something specifically. Um, some of you may have, might have read um, this week from Pastor Chris's email that, that we have a team right now. We have Travis Janusik and, and Catherine Knuckles, who's our executive assistant, and then two others from East Mount Ministry are in Germany as we speak. They arrived, they arrived Friday night. They're going to be there through Friday. Um, and, and they're doing two primary things for us as a church. One, uh, they're going to encourage and, and connect with the, the five Afghan women that we've been um, sponsoring, that we've been befriending, that we've been trying to help. And, and they have fled Afghanistan. They ended up in Kiev, Ukraine, and now they're in Germany. It's just been, it's been a very uh, crazy ordeal. And yet the Lord has connected us to them, and they're over there getting to just bless them. Um, and so be praying for that. But then also, as they're over there, just pray that the Lord gives them eyes to see as they partner with and, and, and co- have conversations with different ministry and denominational partners that are over there in Germany, as well as we kind of canvas and go, what's the Lord doing? How can we help as a church? Um, and how can we encourage them? And so, and so I want to read us just a quick note from Travis. He sent it in yesterday. I just think it's so cool that we could, could jo- join in even right now. And so this is what he says. He says, greetings from Germany. Our team from New City, along with East Mountain Ministry, is spending the week in Europe connecting with our friends from Afghanistan and visiting partners who are directly working with Ukrainian refugees. Today, this was yesterday, we actually got to visit two of our Afghan friends and the experience was powerful. Even in just a short amount of time, we laughed, hugged, cried together. They're truly amazing people. And and, and Sunday, today, we will spend the day with them doing everything from having meals to shopping to whatever else they may need. Our primary focus is simply about building relationships with them while being the light of Jesus. Please pray for our team and these newfound relationships. We went out of a desire to start a friendship and to be faithful to what God is calling us to do. Later this week, we'll be traveling to Hungary to visit local churches and ministries who are welcoming Ukrainians into their country. Thank you, New City, for all your support and being a part of the story that God is writing. He even sends a, another photo and says that, that this, this sign, it actually says in Ukrainian, login to register. And you know, Germany was, was, they've been brought thousands of women and children who have fled in the past weeks. And the sign points them to the refugee center where hundreds of people are hopefully uh, being, finding help or being housed. And so, again, it just brings us close, right? And so, and so let's, let's be praying, and I'd love for us to join together now to pray for them. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're so grateful that you are sovereign over all things. And in and, and your plan, God, you, um, you're good, you're in control, you're aware. And so, Father, we just, as your people, God, we first just pray that that you would be glorified. We pray for not just our team on the ground, but God, the churches in those areas, 
the Christians in those areas, that God, that through all this, all that's going on in Russia and Ukraine and in Europe, that your gospel would be made known. But God, we pray that you'd, you'd come close to those who are brokenhearted, that you'd come close to those who are hurting, that you'd be with all those who have had to flee. God, we pray for peace. God, you alone, we know you can do it. And so we pray for peace, but we pray for protection. We pray for provision. And we pray for Travis and his team that, God, that you'd give them eyes to see. Give them the words to say. Would, you be, would they be empowered by your spirit today? We love you, and we thank you, and we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. One of the the greatest Olympic sports moments of all time. Lake Placid, New York, 1980. The U.S. hockey team defeats the Soviet team in the medal round, shocking the world and paving the way for them to go on to win the Olympic gold medal. It truly was a David and Goliath story. Um, and, it, and this story was made famous in the 2000, for my generation at least, uh, in the 2004 Disney movie, The Miracle, starring Kurt Russell. Um, and if you remember, the U.S. hockey team consisted of amateur players, young 21-year-olds, actually the youngest team in the tournament that, that, that year, a ragtag bunch of players from all over who up until that time joining the team had very minimal time playing together. And they were up against the Soviet team, who's opposite in every way. They were strong, they were talented, they were professionals, they were experienced, they'd been playing together for years. The Soviets had won five of the last six gold medals in the Winter Olympics, and by far, they were the team that were favorites to win. And yet, the U.S. team wins. And, and it's this same iconic game, you can even probably, some of you remember Al Michaels' voice as he declares in the final seconds of that game, he says, do you believe in miracles? Yes. And it's just this unbelievable moment. Some say it's one of the top sports moments of the 20th century. It's inspir- it was inspirational. And what made me think of this team this week is not that they won, but it was how they won. And as one steps into the story, you're fascinated by the journey that the team goes on through their differences, through their failures, through their fights, but that caused this group of average amateurs to, not, to, to, to realize that in order to win, they had to come together. They had to, they had to become one. They had to become family. Many, and many would say that it was the unity of the team, their ability to play without ego, that allowed them to defeat one of the strongest Olympic teams in all of history. Herb Brooks, the coach, is quoted as saying this. He says, the best moment for me out of it all was to see these 20 young men of such differing backgrounds come together and to stand as one. And now we have, man, watch it this afternoon. Take a movie, this, take a movie day today and watch it. It's amazing. There's something about unity that when there's unity, there's strength. There's power. It's attractive. It makes people notice it. And, and I think that everyone in this room, they'd say that, man, we want unity. Everyone in this room knows that unity is a good idea. It's a good idea in your marriage. It's a good idea in your, with your family. It's a good idea at your work, in our churches. But listen, here's the truth, that unity is not just a good idea. It's God's idea. 
It's not just a good idea, it's God's idea. You see it flow from his nature, his posture, his spirit, and he spared no expense to accomplish it. And it's so vital to his people that so much so that he's going to show us in our text today that it's not just a good idea, it is the idea. And this morning, as you know, we're jumping into part two of our series here through the the book of Ephesians. We just had spent about two months in part one, chapters one through three, where, where Paul lays this amazing foundation of gospel realities. He talks about who we are in Christ, who we are apart from Christ, who we were apart from Christ, our identity, our purpose. He lays this amazing foundation that, that prepares, that lays the groundwork for now part two, chapters four through six, where he's going to then start to say, hey, and this is how then our beliefs affect how we Live Because he knows that what's gone before, chapters 1 through 3, is going to govern and shape and empower what comes now. So if you would, we'll start making our way to Ephesians chapter 4. I'd love to read it together. So Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 is where we're at today. If you don't mind, let's stand and we'll read the passage together. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 Um, why don't you um, read as I read aloud, or you follow along as I read aloud. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, therefore, and that's the word, therefore, that links, doing something different, it points backwards to all that has gone before. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle, Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. This is the word of the Lord to us today. You can be seated. If you look at verse 1, verse 1, therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you, strong language, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. In verse 1, this verse, I think, will set up the entire second part. It could be the theme verse, so to speak, for the next three chapters because it's here, it's from here that Paul is going to call us to unity, to be equipped, to walk in love, to walk in light, to walk wisely, to, to, to live in such a way in our marriage and in our workplace and in our family, to put on the armor of God. All of it flows from this idea of worthy living, living that's in step with, that's fitting for our calling. Now you look at it and you notice that the word call is used twice. And I think this is important um, because I think that oftentimes when we come to that word calling, our idea of it sometimes just circles around vocational calling or or, or searching for God's specific will for my life. What's my calling? And, And I think that if our mind just stays there, we might miss the beauty of what Paul, what the Lord is pointing us to. Because what I want you to see is that there's a call that calls. One flows out of the other, or one flows into the other. There's a call that calls. And here's the question. What call is catalytic enough, is worthy enough to capture your life, to command your life, to transform your life, calling you to live in such a way? What, what, 
what, what call is catalytic enough? It's the call of Jesus that awakens us, that brings us to new life, that makes us from dead to now life. And if you remember the scene, John 11, where Jesus is standing in front of the tomb of Lazarus. And what does he do there? He shouts, Lazarus, come out, and Lazarus comes out. He rises from the dead. That's the call. You remember in Ephesians 2, verse 1, you were once dead, but God made you alive. That's the call. You'll see it again in Ephesians 5 where Paul says, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That's the call that's at play here. That's the call that now calls us to a certain way of living. Therefore, lead a life worthy of your calling. But to explain it one more way, verse 1 it's not this idea of we strive to make ourselves worthy. Or it's not this idea that we strive to earn the calling. It's the calling of new life in Christ that's so valuable that it's worthy to live this certain way. I heard one pastor illustrate it like this. He says, think about President Nixon and the catastrophe of Watergate where there was so much lying and deception in the presidency. Now we, we could say, hey, President Nixon walked unworthily of the presidency. But what does that mean? It wouldn't mean so much that he didn't deserve the presidency as much as, as it would mean that the presidency deserved better from him. The gracious call of Jesus is so worthy, it deserves a worthy living from us. It calls us to a new way of living because our life is now in tune with him. And, it, and Paul begs his readers to live this way. But where does he start? with this calling to a new way. He starts with unity. And so you see in verses one through three, this calling to unity, which is, I I think it's a crucial call for us today too. If you look at verses one through three as a unit, you can see this flow, this emphasis, where he starts with, therefore, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. Verse two is gonna talk about how to do it. We'll get there in a minute. But verse 3, but here it is, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Make every effort. What in your life do you make every effort for? I found myself, honestly, this week convicted. Do Do I desire unity like Paul challenges here? I started to think about this difference between making every effort and making only one effort. Like, I, I think at times I, I settle for the latter. I'm like, I made that one attempt and it just didn't work. I, I made that one attempt and that person hurt me again. Or it's just too messy and awkward and they're so different. And yeah, I'll smile, I'll talk to them nice. But, but I don't know if I, if I look at them like, like they're my brother and sister. Like, like, it's just too hard. But Paul says, make every attempt. And man, would God give me, give us that same heartbeat. Listen, Paul's heart, it flows this way because it flows from his theology. It flows from this vision that we read about in Ephesians chapter 2. Remember, he talks about how the dividing wall has been destroyed. The cross of Christ has brought peace. And that because of Jesus, there's now no more Jew or Gentile. All have been brought near through Christ. And because of Christ, we're now family. I believe that the book of Ephesians is Paul's I have a dream speech. Right? And imagine the Ephesians, they're given the whole letter at one time. 
and they're reading 1 through 6 together. And so they're recalling chapter 2 with now chapter 4, and they're connecting the dots, and they're saying, because of this, what Christ has done, live this way. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together in peace. Listen, though, if we want unity, we can't just live any old way we want. If we want unity, it's going to take effort. It's going to have to change the way we live, which moves us to this character change. There's a character to our unity. So what's it look like? What's the character of unity? Verse 2, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. That's the character. So you see the secret here. The secret to unity is all about these attitudes, these postures that are so relational in nature. And if you look at the list of the four things that you see here, you see humility, gentleness, patience, making allowance for each other's faults. You could say that the first two are a couple and the second two are a couple because they kind of help go in together and explain each other. Humility is this idea of lowliness. You're willing to lower yourself to elevate others. You're able to place others, not just in your, in your deeds, but even in your thoughts. Like you're able to place others before yourself. You see others as more important to serve than yourself. There's this recognition of worth and value in other people, no matter the status. I heard this quote this week that says, there are two kinds of people in the world. Those who walk into a room and say, and say here I am. And those who walk in the, into the room and say, oh, there you are. There you are. It's a whole perspective shift that needs to happen. Gentleness. Gentleness is not weakness. It's not an inferior quality. I, I say this because I've struggled with this one. I, I remember being in high school youth group and my youth leader giving out different awards and him getting to me and I getting the gentleness award and snickers arise in the group and the, all this laughter. And I'm even in my own head, I'm like, gentleness? Come on, man, I want to be like the most humorous. I want to be the leader. I want to be the one who knows. Like, yet, as I've studied it, gentleness is more about a controlled strength. Strength under control. There's a display of softness instead of aggression. Or as one commentator wrote, and I love this, he says, gentleness is you choosing to deal with others with kindness rather than roughness. Doesn't, doesn't it seem like our culture applauds the opposite of these qualities? Self-promotion, aggression, ambition. It, it definitely was true in the first century as well. And I would say that it wasn't until Jesus comes along that true humility and gentleness are recognized. He's the perfect pattern and model of humility and gentleness. And he even describes himself. Do you remember that famous verse in Matthew chapter 11? Where what does he say? He says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Be patient with each other. Patience is this idea of long suffering. Endure with one another. Make allowance, making that allowance kind of amplifies what it means to be patient, to bear with one another, even in their faults. And isn't that what Christ has done with us? Aren't we all sinners? This is where our doctrine meets our ethic. Because when you're in these situations, you have to remind, you have to preach to yourself, weren't we all dead? Aren't I messy? Aren't I a work in progress too? 
Aren't we all brothers and sisters? And all those things move us to say, yes, as, as likewise then, let's be slow in seeking to rebuke. Let's make allowances for other shortcomings or their sins. Let's realize that spiritual growth takes time. And listen, it's not that the Lord doesn't call us to perfection. He calls us to unity. And so we need to be reminded of those elements that, yes, I need to be slow here. What might living this way mean for you, for me? What does humility look like for you in your marriage, for you with your kids, for us as a church? Humility might mean working to restore relationship, asking for forgiveness. It might mean crossing the aisle, metaphorically speaking, even if you know that person might disagree with you, but it's saying, hey, we're, we're family. We need to stay and stick to each other. Selfishness and pride lurk behind all discord. Our selfishness shatters unity. It's our, it, it, it's, it's, so we need to fight against it, but we see here these qualities are the secret. It's all about our posture. You know, uh, I was thinking about this, the unity in, of the church is contingent upon the posture of its people. And may we be those that stay low to say, I will serve, I will love, I will listen, I will seek, I'll keep coming back for the sake of making every effort to pursue unity. So there's this calling, there's the character, and there's the foundation of unity. Why do we make every effort? And in verses four through six, Paul strings together this series of seven anchor deep realities where he says, for there is one body and one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and in all and living through all. These are all ours as Christ followers. Talk about a unity that flows from something deeper than preferences around food or football or your favorite things. Think about this as these, these things as an unbreakable link in a chain that keeps us tied together, that binds us together because of our salvation in Christ. So we make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. When you look at this verse, it's kind of like you, you looking at a diamond, you see all these different facets of truth from it. Because in those seven things, you see gospel realities. You see our motivation. You see our goal. You also see the source of how we're able to live in those ways because it comes from him. They're embedded, they're, 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 they're underpinned through him. You'll see the Trinity in there. One spirit, one Lord, a reference to Jesus. One God and Father, a reference to the Father. So, so our unity is undergirded by God himself because unity flows from him. And since the unity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is, a, is abiding and unbreakable, the foundation for our unity is unbiding or is abiding and unbreaking. But here's a question, and I honestly, I, don't, I know I don't have time to chase it today, but, but I want to say the question. If these are our realities, why is there not more unity? And, I, and that question resonates, and it's a good question. But suffice it to say that the answer is found in what we just talked about, sin, pride, selfishness that we have to continue to surrender to the Lord. 
But I say, I, I, but I point back though, this, this foundation of our unity is grounded in the Godhead. It reminds us of two things, that he who is in us is greater than, than that which divides us. Because it's grounded in him. And then second, it's these realities that become our strength and our motivation to live this way, to pursue it. You know, what if, what if my dad came to me and told me that a conflict between he and my younger brother had driven a rift into their relationship so that, that it's so bad that they're not talking, they're not visiting, they don't care. I mean, would I nonchalantly say, oh, no big deal, you're still family? No, I, I, I would hopefully not say that, even though it'd be true. But I say, dad, humble yourself. Brother, humble yourself. Come back. You need to make every effort to keep the, the unity that's, that's, yeah, it's there on paper, but you need to live it out. Because the realities don't dismiss the importance. They drive, they drive you and I towards each other because of the importance. And here's one more thing. When we live this way, grounded in God, we, we image God to the world because unity is founded in him, it's grounded in him, that when we live this way as his people, the world sees. You know, Jesus says, hey, the world will know that you're my disciples by your love. You remember that prayer that Jesus prays in John 17? He's praying for you and I. And he says, may they experience such perfect unity so that or that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Our unity will give evidence of the identity of Jesus, that he was real, that he was who he said he was, that he loves us. And actually, every time that there's a division, every time there's a difference, every time there's a moment where you and I have to choose, hey, am I going to come close? Am I going to choose the love, to be patient, to humble? It's one more moment that we get to model Jesus to people around us. Unity is not just a good idea, it's God's idea. As we close this morning by way of application, I, my heart goes back to verse 2. It goes back to those character qualities. I don't know what you, what you were thinking as you read those, but I found myself this week just thinking, man, where, where do, where's the, which one of those am I weak in? Maybe I need to confess some things of the Lord. Maybe I need to surrender that area to life. And I wonder what area that would be for you. For me, for me it's not gentleness. I already have that award. <laughs> Just joking. But, but for me, I think it is that idea of making allowance for others' faults. And oftentimes that manifests itself not in my actions, but it manifests itself in my heart, in my mind. But I wonder what for you it would be. Is it humility? Is it gentleness? Is it patience? Relational patience? What is it for you? Would we surrender it? Would we realize that it starts, unity starts with our posture? And so let's make every effort to pursue it. Hey, let's pray together. Thank you. Lord, we bow before you. Even, even that is a model of our posture. We bow before you, God, realizing that you are our Father, our King. You've united us. So, Father, help us. Help us to love each other as you've called us to love. God, God, work in us where we need to be worked on. And God, let me fight for the unity of the church. 
so that the world may see you through us. We love you and we thank you. Amen.
Hey, thanks so much for being here this morning. Um, so grateful for you all. I really just even thinking about the family of God. I've been just so privileged and so grateful that we, that we get to do family together. So thank you. Hey, if you're visiting, we'd love to get to know you. We'd love to meet you. We have hosts in the courtyard at Connection Point ready to, to greet you. We have a gift for you. We'd love for you to stop by there. Um, and, and hey, as wherever you go this week, wherever you live, work, play, and live, live for Jesus. Um, and would you extend your hand for this benediction from Ephesians 3. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. All right, go in peace, New City.